Welcome to The Essential Rhythm, science-based natural history and human ecology of the North Atlantic seashore. This is episode 75, Cytochrome Oxidase What? In the past weeks, we've been talking about DNA barcoding, the process of extracting DNA from an organism and using the information contained in specific genes, like a grocery store barcode, to identify the organism to species. This fall, I did this with my first-year biology students, a multi-week process that culminates in getting DNA sequences back from a commercial lab, ready for us to compare to databases of known genetic sequences. The students were excited to learn the identities of the organisms they collected. I want to spend this episode digging a little deeper into the specifics of DNA barcoding, particularly what DNA we are looking at for this process. I mentioned in past episodes that, surprisingly, we don't actually need the entire genome of an organism to figure out what it is. While we certainly could look at that, sequencing the entire genome is still pretty expensive, so if it isn't necessary, it isn't done. To barcode animals using genes, we look at one gene in particular, the CO1 gene. CO1 stands for cytochrome oxidase subunit 1, and this gene is a sequence of DNA that codes for this molecule. And what is this molecule? Cytochrome C oxidase is a transmembrane protein, meaning it is a protein that is embedded in the membrane of a cell. And the membrane in question for this molecule is actually in the mitochondria. Remember those? Mitochondria are special organelles inside our cells. You might remember them from high school biology as the powerhouse of the cell. In slightly more technical terms, mitochondria are where the nuts and bolts of aerobic respiration take place, the biochemical process that liberates the chemical energy stored in the bonds of glucose and turns it into a functional form that cells can use. The term ATP may come to mind here. ATP is adenosine triphosphate, and it's a molecule that also holds chemical energy, but is much less stable than glucose and much easier for our cells to use. Cytochrome oxidase subunit 1 is involved in that process. The ACE part of the word oxidase is a hint that cytochrome oxidase is an enzyme. Most enzymes have that suffix. For example, folks who are lactose intolerant have lost the ability to synthesize the enzyme lactase, which is the protein that breaks down the sugar lactose. In the case of oxidase, this enzyme oxidizes something, which means it takes an electron from it. Yep, that is all being oxidized is, losing an electron. And the name gives us further hints as to what's going on. Cytochrome oxidase oxidizes a molecule called cytochrome, which unsurprisingly is an electron carrier. So along comes cytochrome with its electron, and cytochrome oxidase takes that electron from it. And what does it do with that electron, you might ask? It combines it with some oxygen and some protons and makes water. So when we say that carbon dioxide and water are the products of respiration, when you exhale carbon dioxide and water vapor, this is where that water comes from. Another part of the process involves the membrane that the cytochrome oxidase is embedded in. As part of that moving electrons around thing, cytochrome oxidase also sets up an electrochemical gradient, which sounds fancy, but it just means that a positive charge builds up on one side of the membrane in the form of positively charged particles, and a negative charge builds up on the other side. And just like water backing up behind a dam, a lot of potential energy is held in that electrochemical gradient. 
When the cell is ready to make some ATP, that gradient is released through yet another transmembrane protein called ATP synthase, which acts like a tiny little molecular turbine. Positively charged particles flow through it from the positive side of the membrane to the negative side. And as they do, they cause it to spin. This enzyme is also referred to as a molecular machine. ATP is formed as a result of the spinning of a section of ATP synthase. And this couldn't happen without the cytochrome oxidase. The CO1 gene has been found to be ideal for barcoding animals because it has the Goldilocks mutation rate. It mutates just fast enough to distinguish one species of animal from another, but just slow enough that individuals of the same species will all have the same version. Put it another way, any other human on Earth and I will have the same version of the CO1 gene. But I will have a different version than my dog, my cat, or a pet monkey if I had one, which I don't. It only works for animals, though. The CO1 gene in plants mutates far too slowly to distinguish one species from another, for example. And so other groups of organisms, like plants or fungi, use different barcoding genes. Even though I am pretty comfortable using this technology to explore biology with my students, I have to pay deep respect to the folks who figured out how to do this, which genes to use, and of course, what they do in our bodies. I can hardly imagine the years and years of work that it took. In science, we are always building on the work of others, and it is a deeply humbling experience. This has been episode 75 of The Essential Rhythm, written and produced by me, Sarah O'Malley. The show is produced on Wabanaki land. The theme music is Lightstream by the artist Siddhartha, used by permission through Creative Commons. Thanks for listening and join us next week.